Ayurvedic teacher and registered nurse, Amy Pruitt. I'm therapeutic yoga teacher, Lisa Dumas. We named this podcast, The Radiant Warrior, because we all feel like we're at war with ourselves sometimes. And we need support to learn from our challenges and expand to the next version of who we are becoming. And for us, the practices that we've drawn from the wisdom traditions of Ayurveda and yoga bolster us in the real world challenges we face in our lives as women, mothers, daughters, and friends. Ayurveda's simple guidance helps us cultivate enhanced radiance and vitality. And the skills we've acquired from therapeutic yoga soothe an anxious mind and body, inviting contentment and connection to the part of us that isn't afraid. The Radiant Warrior podcast is yoga, Ayurveda, and real talk to reclaim a courageous heart. We're so grateful to all of you for your responses and reviews. Reviews are a wonderful gift to a podcaster because it helps us grow and become visible to more people. A great way to tell us you value the show is by heading to the iTunes app to subscribe and to offer us a five-star rating. We appreciate you. Okay, Amy, before we start chatting and sharing, um, I know that both of us have a couple of events coming up that we want to talk about opportunities to practice with us live. What do you have going? I have a weekend retreat that is coming up in the middle of November. It is November 15th, 16th, and 17th in the beautiful Hocking Hills of Ohio. And if you don't know about the Hocking Hills in Ohio, that's this amazing place It's the foothills or the beginning of the Appalachian Mountains, and it's this area of beautiful rolling hills and trees and forests and caves, and we have a lodge that we have all to ourselves in the middle of 108 acres, and it will be a weekend of yoga, Ayurveda, and meditation. And if anybody would love to join me, I have a few spots left. They just go to my website amypruitt.com and look under the events section and you can sign up there. Oh my gosh, it sounds amazing. And I can't believe the place you're going has 108 acres. That's like a sacred number from, you know, the science of yoga. I know, right? It's the perfect spot. Oh, it sounds absolutely wonderful. Um, As for me, I'm going to be back in San Diego this coming weekend. And while I'm there, I'm going to offer the Warrior to Warrior workshop. That's my workshop where I offer as many tools as I can to help soothe your anxious mind and your anxious body. You don't have to identify as somebody who feels that they suffer with an anxiety disorder. This is really an experience for anybody who feels like they worry a lot. Um, all of us, <laughs> mm-hmm. for anyone who feels like the quality of that inner dialogue is maybe a little unkind and you'd like to learn how to feel a little bit more calm and connected to your heart. So that's this Sunday at Carlsbad Village Yoga in Carlsbad by the Sea, a really lovely seaside community where we have a place and that's becoming our second home. So I'm looking forward to building community there. It's from two until four o'clock in the afternoon. You can go to carlsbadvillageyoga.com in order to find a link, or you can go to my uh, business Facebook page, Lisa Dumas Yoga, and the event details are there. And I also have the link there. And I have a phone number for the studio there if, um, if you have any challenges signing in. I'm really excited to be teaching there. And actually, coming up in this episode, Amy and I are going to talk a little bit more 
about the tools that we both share to help to meet anxiety and how to do them and why they work. Anxiety is such a top complaint for so many of us. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that in my story coming up. But uh, a first question to touch in with one another. We haven't for a while. Amy, today, where do I find you feeling and being body, mind, and heart? So I am currently in Columbus and the weather has very quickly changed. Last week, we had almost a heat wave would be in the 90s, which I know is different for you. Um, that'd, be, that'd be like 30 here in, <laughs> in Canada. Yeah. Celsius, Fahrenheit. Yeah. And so it was very hot. And then almost overnight, fall came. And, and really, I felt like fall came while I was teaching one class in yoga. It I went into the class and it was very hot and sunny. And then when I, when the class let out, I opened the door to the studio and it was as if fall had arrived while we were in class. It was like this lovely, cool breeze and we could open the windows. And, and so this weekend feels like the very first of fall and it's been lovely to be outside. I hear people talking about it saying, Oh, it's so dreary today because we've have had some rain and I really, I am embracing it because I love fall. So that is where I am. And, and I'm feeling a little body wise tired. I feel tired. I had a very full weekend and I'm coming off of that with less than normal sleep. So body-wise, I'm feeling tired. And the weather is also making me just want to snuggle into bed and pull the covers up and drink soup and mm-hmm. and nap. That's what I feel like <laughs> I want to do. I want to take naps. Are you able to do that at all today? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. There's no napping today. I've already been to the studio today twice and and just running all the errands of life, going to the bank, um, cleaning the studio. It's very glamorous, um, you know, cleaning the bathroom and vacuuming and adjusting the schedule and this is the part of life that doesn't make it onto the social media feeds of typical people, right? Right. You don't you don't um, present with that first. You don't lead with that about how glamorous it is to own a yoga studio when you are chasing spiders around and scrubbing toilets and making sure that we have toilet paper and getting the cobwebs out of the corners. Uh, that's not the glamorous side of of this wonderful life of studio ownership or entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're recording this podcast, full disclosure, a couple of days earlier than we normally would. Um, you're listening to it, our dear listeners, um, either on Friday when it's released every single week or at some point that's convenient for you afterwards. And we usually record it a day before, but this week, because I am traveling to San Diego and we have some other things going on, we worked it out and we're recording it right at the beginning of the week. And I definitely find, even though I can watch myself thinking this and I can question these thoughts, that earlier in the week, 
I have a feeling of being more daunted by the events of the week to come. And as I make my way through the week, I start to feel lighter. So that's something that I've been using my practices and using my awareness to help with. And so I agree with you where I am, body is feeling tired. And I hear you simply speak that and not make it mean anything. And I think that's part of my work is I have an attachment to waking up and wanting to feel a certain amount of vitality. And if I wake up feeling as tired as I am, I notice my mind going into making that mean a whole bunch of things that oftentimes make me to blame. And this has come up with a lot of my clients as well, that we feel like we do these practices and we have these outcomes and goals in mind. Like, If we do these practices, we'll feel more vital all of the time, but sometimes we'll wake up in the morning and we will feel less than optimal. And that could be for so many reasons. And this information does help me. I know that there's tons of reasons that we might feel a little stagnant and tired and heavy. And like you said, it could be just for the reality of having a little less sleep than perhaps our body needs. It could be that we were dehydrated. It could be that in my case, I taught yesterday and I ate a little later and I felt very depleted at the end of yesterday. And I will absolutely admit that I wasn't eating out of hunger after dinner. You know, those That second and third cookie that I reached for, I was fully aware that I was eating for comfort, that I was eating to receive some sweetness. Mm-hmm. Um that I was that I was longing for that and it did taste good and feel good at the time that warmth within and the cozy feeling however it may have contributed to this less than optimal way that I felt when I woke up this morning and I definitely had to practice and be on to myself when I noticed how my mind wanted to make all of these reasons while I didn't feel good it was as opposed to just accepting here's the feeling that's in my body. My mind was so willing to make it mean this, this, and this. And that's exactly what our minds do. Something occurs or we feel a certain way and our minds are so good at finding out reasons why that's the case. Our minds are so good for finding all the negative reasons why. And my mind will immediately go to, well, this is what you did wrong yesterday. And this is sort of the punishment, how you feel this morning. Yeah, I agree. We can go down any number of rabbit holes, blaming ourselves for the way we're feeling and making a meaning that might not necessarily be the case. And the meaning that we make makes it feel so much worse. And then our computer brain will just add on to that, you know, It's actually a teaching in the therapeutic yoga course that I'm in. When we notice that our mind is focusing on what's going wrong and then piling on with everything else that might be going wrong, because we can all do that. We can all make a list of the things that are not ideal in our experiences. But if we find that that's a tendency for us, then we know that we're not truly seeing things the way they are. And so what I wanted to offer today is how I helped myself because I wasn't willing to stay in that spiral. It wasn't worth it to me. And it is such a simple practice and it's so easy to say, 
but for me, it does always work. And that is turning my mind to what's going right and turning my mind to what I'm appreciating and what I'm grateful for. And I could just start with looking around my room and seeing the comforts that I have available to me and, and the comfortable life that I lead in so many ways. And then as soon as I start to do that, then I'm looking for evidence of what's good. And then that does start to make me feel better. It's, it is a simple tool. I think the key is reminding ourselves to do it and making it a habit. Like thinking better than we feel, that's one way of putting it. But also that might not be powerful enough for some of us. And some of us, it's about taking action better than we feel. So even though you're tired, what I hear you say is that, you know, there's things that you have to show up for. So you started moving and you started your day and you started taking action and it starts to feel just a little bit better as the momentum of the day goes on. Yeah. And as you move those tasks from one stack to the other, that they're done and behind you and to look at what you accomplished. And I really like how you said, you know, flipping the switch to what is wrong, to what is right or what is going right. I saw like a meme last week and I think they were referring to like a Buddhist teaching that instead of what's wrong, you know, what's wrong? Oh my gosh, what's wrong? You know, mm-hmm. if we even encouraged each other, you know, what's right in the moment, can you tell me what's right or what's going well right now? I think we have this addiction to drama or anxiety. You know, not anxiety, but we're so caught up in the dramas of life that we get stuck in that what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong. And if we can even reach out to others and say, tell me what's going right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we can all relate in friendships that it's actually a way to bond to sort of share the things that are going wrong. And we do need our friends to be there. Um, when we're not feeling great in order to help lift us up. However, there are friends that I have that we really celebrate one another's wins, but maybe we don't think about that. Maybe it doesn't naturally occur to us when something wonderful happens to reach out and talk to somebody about it and tell them about it. Or there, you know, there could be a lot of reasons why we might not want to share that. Um, We might feel a tendency to, to downgrade the good Mm -hmm. with us. But you're right. I would encourage more of us to talk about that. It's it's like this book that I offer a lot of information about here, Hardwiring Happiness by Rick Hansen. It's a way to stay in what's going right rather than wallowing in what isn't, which is so much easier. You know, that's the habit for a lot of us. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. And I was even inspired by my puppy Bowie who's on my lap right now. I don't, can I still call her a puppy? She's over one now. She's, I guess a toddler. She can always be your puppy. <laughs> she is. But I, I watched her today. She, we came in from taking my daughter to school and she just needed to run around the house. She was just running around in circles. And I took that as some inspiration. Like, yeah, yeah I didn't have time for my movement practice today. And that for me is key. I've talked about that here. 
even in bed, I'm starting to move and warm up my joints. And I make sure that I'm up before everybody else so that I can move a little bit because that is the most uplifting thing for my system that I can do. And and for a lot of us, if we would take 10 or 15 minutes and just stretch and breathe and move just a little bit, we would feel a lot better. And then we feel better. It's easier to think better. So I took her advice as she was racing around like crazy around this house right before we recorded this. I'm like, I'm going to take my own advice and I'm just going to shake, shake, shake. And that's one of the things that I offer when we're feeling stagnant. Even if we don't have a long time, we can always kind of take ourselves somewhere private and and shake it out. And it did make me feel so much better before sitting down and turning on the microphone to talk with you. Yeah. And there's an intuition in Bowie, right? Like Bowie doesn't overthink it. No. Bowie just knows what feels good and is uninhibited and what anyone is going to think when she does it. And, and yeah, it, I think we could learn a lot by watching other beings around us. Yeah. When she's hungry, she just gobbles up her food and then she doesn't feel guilty after. <laughs> No, she doesn't shame herself. And, and when she's done eating, she's done eating. And I can't imagine Bowie standing in front of the fridge, just eyes glazed over, you know, seeking something the way I have found myself going to the fridge, having no, not being hungry at all, but I'm just looking for something. And like you said, it's probably comfort Mm -hmm. or boredom and, and Bowie's, Bowie's probably much better at that than I am. Well, and when life does feel, quote unquote, a little harder, and I know that that is super relative, you know, we're only talking about the challenges in our very privileged life. Like, I absolutely get that. But when life speed does amp up and there just are a lot of things going on, I'm on the other side of a move and a launch of a big new part of our business. And um, there's one of me right now, like total props to single moms doing (laughs) all of it and having all of it on our shoulders. It's no joke. And I think it takes having a vast toolbox at our disposal in order to, to feel uplifted in the face of it all. And it absolutely makes sense that cookies would be the stand in for sweetness because sometimes life doesn't feel sweet. We have to remind ourselves to actively look for the sweetness. But even that sometimes it's just, I just want to eat this cookie right now. Yeah. And I find that all the time. And that's got to be okay. Yeah. And to be really compassionate with yourself that we're all doing the best we can in the moment. We're all doing the best we can. And that is the biggest practice that I gave myself and that I would offer here today. When you have those situations, when you wake up in the morning and your body, you judge your body is not feeling good for whatever reason, and then you make that mean that you did something wrong, I would encourage all of us to flip that. I would encourage all of us to practice the art of being present and simply witness the sensations that we're feeling within. And instead of linking them to, oh, I feel heavy or I feel full or this is uncomfortable, instead of looking for what's wrong, could we just observe it as what it is? Could we observe it maybe even as a beginner? Like, oh, this sensation, it feels, you know, there's some density to it. If it were a color, it would be this color. Interesting. 
hmm. And then when we catch our mind going to the habitual thought, because that's all that thought really is, I can probably admit that I've had those blaming, guilt-ridden thoughts upon waking up thousands of times. And that's why they come so easily. You know, we we and we not only have thought patterns as habits, but we have feelings and emotions in our body as habits. So once we know that, these are the practices that can help to override that. But when we have that habitual thought of, well, it's because I did something wrong, or it's because I ate that, or I drank that, or I said that, or I watched that, and I'm still a good person, you know, and I'm still okay, and there's nothing wrong with me. You know, can we add that on to the end of those thoughts? Yeah, the way that we, our internal dialogue to ourselves and the way we berate ourselves or shame ourselves has got to be taken down a notch. Yeah. You know, it just really does. And I think most people can relate to that, the way that we speak to ourselves and the standards that we hold ourselves to could really be a lot kinder than it is. And for many of us, it'll be a lifetime of remembering that. We can hear that in a workshop. We can read that in a book. But not many of us have that innate quality of being able to answer the inner critic with kindness. I've come across a couple of people in my life who've modeled to me that they do it really well. They have far more compassion for themselves. And the writer, Brene Brown, who researches shame, she talks about that people that live in a more peaceful, wholehearted way, they do have the natural ability to be a lot easier on themselves. And one person that I met, you know, she expressed that she has all these same feelings, you know, maybe guilt about this or that or shame about different actions that she took or didn't. But then in the same breath, she can say to herself, but of course you felt that way. Or of course you took that action. That makes so much sense because, you know, look at this and look at this. Like she really had a practice of talking to her like we would talk to one another. You know, Amy, if you called me and you told me all of these seemingly you know, terrible things that you thought about yourself, I would, I would immediately ask you not to speak to yourself that way. And I would offer a much kinder perspective. I just would, and not from a inauthentic place either. And most of us would talk to our friends and our loved ones that way, but it has to become a habit to be able to cultivate that voice for ourselves. Like you said, it is a lifelong process. I think for myself, it's a very new process within even just the last year or two, learning to speak to myself with compassion and love and unconditional love and not really call myself every name in the book and shame myself into, you know, a corner. So it is, it is a lifelong process. Something that was helpful for me, one of the books that was offered for us to read as part of the Yoga Psyche Soul curriculum with our teacher, Ashley, is called Mindful Loving. The author's name is Henry. I can't remember the last name. But he offers a lot of different tools for how to handle that negative inner dialogue. And one that has always stuck with me, and I've shared it in a few classes, is when we notice that, when we notice, well, well, you feel this way because you did this terrible and awful thing, or... Um, well, they looked at you like that because you're this terrible and awful way. 
you, when you notice yourself thinking, which that's also the big part of the practice. Can we even notice those thoughts? Most of us, we're not even noticing this constant um, terrorist inside of our mind, but we're reacting to it. But once we start to discern that voice, then one idea from this book was, I banish that thought, you know, to notice that thought and then to inwardly say, no, that's not okay. I banish that thought and giving yourself the permission not to think it again. This episode is brought to you by A Radiant Year, our monthly program that sends you a class that we create for you every week, offering therapeutic yoga and Ayurveda skills to support you in practicing real self-care. We design these classes to help you integrate simple and powerful tools into your life to help you move worry and overwhelm and cultivate more contentment and vitality. Enrollment opens next on December 6th for you to join us for a radiant winter. It's your chance to gather tools to feel more vibrant and at peace during the shorter days and cooler weather. We'll begin on winter solstice. Learn and grow with us seasonally or yearly. Head to aradiantyear.com to get on the wait list. So I guess that's one more of the countless tools that it's our intention to share here in the podcast. It's our intention to share when we teach together at our live workshops and in our ongoing online program, A Radiant Year. And um, we thought we would talk a little bit more specifically about building that box of tools when it comes to anxiety. Still everywhere I look and so many clients that I speak to, it's such a top complaint. And I know that part of the time you still work in the hospitals. Um, what's What are you seeing as far as anxiety in that setting, in the healthcare setting from a Western model? Anxiety is epidemic. Mm-hmm. It is pervasive across all ages, genders, ethnicities, socioeconomics, anxiety is an absolute epidemic. And I can't think of, I think people have it much more than they don't have it, or they identify as suffering from anxiety much more than saying that they don't. So from a Western standpoint, I think it's it is absolutely everywhere. And I don't know that from the Western model that there's a really good treatment for it, if for lack of a better word. I don't know from a Western modality if we're doing very well at easing people's suffering with anxiety, whether it's through talk therapy or medications. Because in the Western modality of medicine, there's not much recommendation for lifestyle change. So you have somebody coming in who's suffering from anxiety. And instead of looking for the root cause of their anxiety, you are treating their symptoms, which doesn't really address the ongoing issues of what is driving this anxiety. So uh, from a Western standpoint, it's everywhere. And it just feels like this tsunami that there's really no way to get a handle on it. When I had my first attack of anxiety, that disordered panic set in, and I found myself in an emergency room, there there wasn't anything. It, it, was, it was a declaration of you've had an anxiety attack, you've had a panic attack, and, and that was it. 
And that was over 20 years ago, the first time that I experienced that. And so there wasn't the information that there is now. And to me, it felt like a sentence, like, okay, I've had this. Am I going to have another one? (laughs) And when is it coming? (laughs) And that's exactly what sinks us into a disorder because then life becomes all about the fear of having another one and creating all of these rules so you don't and fearing it. I also feel like the label of being told you have an anxiety, you have anxiety, you have anxiety attacks, that's limiting and defeating. That's part of what I want to offer. One of the first things that I think is helpful is to remember that whatever challenge that we're dealing with, that's just a part of the story. And that's just a part of our experience. The state of anxiety, as you mentioned, it comes on for a lot of different reasons. It can be hereditary. It can be something in the constitution. It can come on, as I believe it did with me in my 20s, a mix of lifestyle and a mix of the way that I was, a mix of worrying about what other people were thinking to a a really disordered degree and wanting to live up to this idealized version that I thought everybody had for me. And that's something that originated in childhood. And then mix that with a radio career. And for me, that was shifts that had me on on the air until you know one o'clock in the morning when I first started so very little sleep and moving away from home and working at smaller radio stations with a lot of young people and and living a lifestyle that was not in any way serving my body I know that now but that's just what my lifestyle was but I didn't have any of that information my anxiety story if you will was being told you had a panic attack. And then going home with my head hung in shame, because it was it just felt so shameful. It felt like this completely out of control situation, that there was no way that I could stop it. It was one of the most terrifying experiences of my life. It went on for such a long time, because I held back and calling for help until I actually thought that I was dying. For the whole day, I was just sort of managing attempting to manage all of these awful symptoms that were going on in my body, this pounding heartbeat and perspiration and trembling and just feeling so incredibly nervous. And when I finally tried to go to sleep, that's that's when the panic attack came on. And for our listeners who have never experienced one or have people in your life that say, I had a panic attack or, or a teenager who says I've had a panic attack, it what it feels like is this completely out of control, terrifying situation. You feel like you are a prisoner in this body that is going crazy. And you have thoughts like, I'm going to die or I'm going to pass out. I'm going to freak out. I'm going to be helpless. And then to add the fear that this might happen on the subway, or this might happen when I'm driving, or this might happen at a party. I'm feeling emotional talking about this. Um, It is my past and it is just part of my story. But if I really let myself remember how hard that was, it wasn't fun. And I didn't feel like I had places to go. Um, I couldn't even, I couldn't even start to think about where to go. Once I realized that um, I needed help. Yeah. I, 
I had no idea where to turn for help. And for me, which I've shared here before, I know that I'm really fortunate because I started to realize that I wasn't dying. You know, that was the first thing. I started to realize that I was getting to the other side of these, but this is after 10 years off and on of it's sort of getting a little bit better and getting a little bit worse. And I can look back now and I know that it was getting better when I was doing things that were helping myself, but I didn't know it. Like I was moving in healthier ways and I I was sleeping in more regular ways and I was eating in more regular ways and um, I was more joyful in my life and I had love in my life. So these natural things were happening to soothe my nervous system. And then once I found yoga and I had such this incredible transformation and a feeling of calm that I hadn't had since probably I was a child, but it felt like almost the first time for me, that's when I knew, okay, what is it about this system? What is about what I just did for the past 90 minutes that helped me feel this way? And so that's what the last decade has been about is, is learning why it works learning why moving our breath in certain ways and our bodies in certain ways and tending to our minds in certain ways, why all of that works. A big perspective that yoga offered me was that we're so much more than our thoughts, including if you've been given a diagnosis of anxiety, if somebody's told you 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 have it, you're much more than that. That is a passing state, just like any other state. And what we need to start with is some perspective and some acceptance rather than fearing this big, dark, scary thing. And clearly that's not easy. I lived in fear of that big, dark, scary thing. It was like there was this this beast inside of me that could be unleashed at any time and it was going to kill me or, or ruin my day. And then some of the coping mechanisms that I was using just to calm it all down, right? Because we know now food is super grounding and also alcohol that's super calming. So I was I was doing these things that were just making everything worse. So I know that it's so easy to say, let's not look at this state with a whole bunch of fear. But if we can receive it with a little bit more, I don't even want to say acceptance, but the goal is to receive it rather than resist it. Because if we start to feel those sensations arise, oh, here it comes. And then we brace our whole body against it and we hold our breath, which I absolutely remember doing. We're just speeding up the process of feeling even more anxious because from a physiological perspective, we're holding our breath. So our nervous system is on high alert. Our fight and flight goes into motion. It's like we need to run away for our lives. Like that's what's happening in the system of our body. And that's what it feels like. So if there's a way to realize that this is my nervous system. This is my body's way of actually coming back into balance at this point. And if we can soften towards the rise of worry in our body, and then I'll get more deeply into what we can do from a practical level. But just the shift of 
moving away from, I hate this. This is awful. There's something wrong with me. I'm, I'm so ashamed of this and hiding and fearing it and bracing against it to, okay, this is here now and it's here for a reason. And what can I do to meet it with maybe even a little bit more friendliness? Well, what I, what I heard you say too, is in the beginning, when you were given a diagnosis, that how you said you hung your head in shame and that sounds so isolating. And, and then because you were given this diagnosis and felt shame, I would think that that would make it very hard to talk to other people about. And so I know for me, that could be very isolating. And then I'm left to my own devices. I'm left alone with my mind and that dialogue without having any outside perspective of anyone else saying, me too. And this is what I have dealt with. And this is how I have found ways to soothe my nervous system. So I think that initial isolation can be so detrimental because of the stigma that people carry or perceive with any kind of mental health issue. And bringing it out into the light, letting the light shine on it can be so scary. But that act alone, speaking about it, like you're speaking about it right now, can be so healing to someone else who can hear that story and think, oh my God, I have that too. And I thought I was the only one. And I have been alone in this struggle. So the way you have described that, I'm just so proud of you. And I think that is so healing for anyone to be able to speak their truth, speak their experience, bring what their struggles have been out. Like that to me felt like step one, like identifying and acknowledging. And like you said, could it, could you become even friends with it? if you had to. So I just love that whole thing. Not that I love that you have that mm-hmm. and that you have suffered with that. No, as I, as I listen to you, it, it, that makes so much sense. Now here we are in this world where there's so much more information and sharing about mental health and some of the different challenges that we face. So it's, it's easier to find information and hopefully it's easier to share about it because it doesn't sound so scary and foreign. Unfortunately for me and for everybody else who experienced anxiety or, or depression, when there was less information readily available and when there was more of a stigma about it, it is isolating. And coupled with that, you know, the thing about my particular path in radio is that I was moving a lot. So I did move to several different places where I was virtually a stranger in that place and I had to start building a life. And so I didn't have that connection and community. And if I would create close friends, um, it was a challenge to talk about it because it was this, this heavy thing that I was dealing with. And I found myself not wanting to be alone. And then that's a lot to put on somebody too. You know, it was when my now husband came along, I think a big part of my healing was his willingness to normalize it and his assurances that he thought I was okay because he'd see me at the beginning and he'd sort of see me through these episodes and he'd see me afterwards and that it was okay. 
And so he was an assuring voice, but also he encouraged me to go and talk to people that could help. And I think part of not seeking help and not speaking out it out loud is I, I think I didn't want to find out that this was sort of a life sentence for me. I was going to be like this forever. And it doesn't make sense now. It doesn't. But in my emotionally immature mid-20s brain, if I just didn't look at it, if I just got through the next one the best way I could and then ignored it, <laughs> maybe it would go away. <laughs> As we do all the, if I ignore that monster <laughs> under the bed, close my eyes, really tight, it'll just go yeah. away. Yeah. And then through these practices and then just through growing up and, and more insight and wisdom, we realize that the only way out is through and speaking it and acknowledging it and bringing awareness to it helps to take away its power. This beast that was, you know, anxiety in my life back in the day had all the power in my life. It took over. It was the central force in my life and I organized my life around it. And it was this big, deep, dark secret that I never wanted anyone to see. And I can imagine that back in those days, early, late 20s, early 30s, that in my relationships, there there might have been some thinking of my inauthenticity, you know, as a person, of me sort of putting on an act. And I think if that was ever a feeling that others had of me, I I think that that's right. That I got used to putting on a mask of what I thought I should be, or maybe what I wanted to be, or what would be acceptable and agreeable, because to be authentic back then with this being the central force in my life that just felt like hi nice to meet you i'm lisa and i freak out a few times a week and think i'm going to die i have a hard time being alone and i live in fear <laughs> let's be friends i don't know i if somebody led with that i would be like i want to be her friend like that is awesome Instead of the bullshit that we lead with now, like that's authenticity right there. Well, and I'll tell you, I don't know if I've said this here, but I didn't talk about this at first as a teacher for a long time. And I don't remember the first time I did. It was probably when I was running um, a studio Then I felt super comfortable in the community and the same students came all the time. And I don't remember why I decided to to share it, but... I did. And I remember as I was speaking it out loud to a group of people, I guess I was probably speaking my why, you know, why I do this in the first place. My whole body started to tremble. And when we speak truth, it can feel physically very powerful. It was like there was some discharge going on in my body when I was speaking something that I had kept inside hidden for so long. And what you're saying is absolutely right. As I started to talk about it and share it, that's when really beautiful things started to happen in this path for me and in sharing. And others would come up to me after class and say, me too. And they would look at me with these haunted eyes like, I don't know if it's ever going to end. And then because of 
the healing that I did do through yoga and the re-education of my mind through therapeutic yoga and Ayurveda and psychology, there is another side. You know, that's my experience that there is another side. It is powerful. It's so powerful. Well, it's, it's, it, and now it's the work of my life. Had you asked me <laughs> in the middle of having regular panic attacks, you know, if I would be grateful, N- no, <laughs> but, but now I, now I do appreciate that experience because teaching about it and offering about it comes from this powerful place of this is where I was, this is how I felt. And then these are the practices that I used. And right away I felt better, but then over time it got really better. And in therapeutic yoga, we use the term balancing, you know, we're balancing these different systems of our body that become unbalanced for lots of different reasons. And then I think it maybe creates expectation that we feel perfect. And that's not what balance is, but there, there are ways through these systems that we are harmonizing our systems. And that's what, that's what you and I teach now. And I wouldn't have ever got myself into a yoga studio without going through that. I, that was not something that I, I was really interested in when I was younger. I had a lot of cynicism around it because that was what was around me. I didn't have any spirituality in my life growing up because there was a lot of um, religious trauma around me. And so it was just not encouraged. So I can't imagine that I would have gone to yoga if I hadn't heard that yoga helped anxiety. Now I heard that on a news report one day and I made a note, okay, I'll go to yoga one day. <laughs> I'm so glad that I did. And then I just had to change everything. You know, once I, once I, experienced the vast transformation that not only happened because I felt calmer in my body, but when you start to realize that you can change the quality of your mind, when you start to realize that you can actually cultivate qualities like open-heartedness and acceptance and other perspectives, when you start to realize that you can think anything that you choose that you can either think the habitual thoughts that you've been thinking about yourself and the people that you've been in relationship with, and it's maybe, um, you know, all those thoughts about them are negative, or you can choose to cultivate having more compassion towards yourself and to others. And as you said earlier, that we truly are doing the best that we can with the tools that we have right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cultivating that compassion towards yourself. And beginning to not isolate, to begin to talk about it to each other, to those around you, I think is step one, just to bring it out into the light. Mm -hmm. Yes, bring it out into the light. And not everybody is going to receive it maybe the way that we would want, but the more that we speak it, the easier that it gets. And now, even though in this episode, I did feel myself get a little emotional because I was really having compassion for that early 20s me living in a big city all by herself and you know going to bed at night and just being so fearful that 
a panic attack was going to come because that's usually when it came. You know, I could fill my days. I could stay busy. I could stay numbing. I could stay hiding and avoiding. But then at the end of the day in bed, it was just me. And there was nowhere to hide and nowhere to go. And then that's when the beast would rear its terrifying head. And I just, I really, I remembered what she felt like then. And I have so much, I have so much compassion for her. She was doing the best she could. Mm -hmm. And... You know, we're busy in this life. We don't we don't take a lot of time to just pause and be with earlier versions of ourselves and forgive ourselves. But <laughs> that's why we go to classes, that's why we go to workshops, and that's why you and I craft the workshops that we do. And that's ends up being the heart of the Warrior to Warrior workshop that's that's coming up this Sunday in San Diego. And actually I'm teaching it here in Vancouver on October 27th at Semper Viva too. But that turns out to be the heart of it. You know, I take you through all the practical tools, like the ways in which we can breathe and the ways in which we can move to calm our body. And um, when we teach together, you offer even the ways in which we can eat and how we can eat and how we can sleep in order to regulate ourselves and calm our body and mind. But then I like to take it a step further and I like to just offer how we can be so much kinder to ourselves and how we can forgive ourselves for not measuring up to this impossible impossible to reach version of ourselves, you know, that that we put so much effort and energy into. And if we could let that go and welcome it all, you know, welcome our thoughts and welcome how we don't feel so great when we wake up every morning and welcome that life sometimes feel hard, feels hard and that our relationships with our loved ones are challenging at times. You know, if we could welcome all of that, there would be more ease. And it's not a sentence. You know, it doesn't, we don't know the outcome. And I think we attach ourselves to a diagnosis and think that it's a life sentence and the end results could be a million different things. And so this doesn't have to be the way it always is. It could be the future could hold just as many possibilities and just remembering that, that it doesn't always have to be like this. And you're just reminding me of the big practice that I had over the last couple of weeks everything is temporary. Everything is temporary because sometimes life is overwhelm. I, I, sh- I shared that on, on a recent post on my Instagram page. Like sometimes it is, we hear all of this messaging, slow down, do less. Oh, okay. Yes. And, and, and you and I teach that too, but sometimes rising to life takes action after action after action. And there's very little space, but everything is temporary. And as we talked about in last episode, there is typically time for mini and micro practices and opportunities to take a deep breath and, and, and find the simple joys in life. You know, 
joy doesn't have to be these big peak experiences. It could simply be that we love the feeling of this fabric on our skin, or we love this certain essential oil that we have, or something that we made is specifically, but particularly tasty. You know, there's always something that that we can find that helps us be a little kinder with ourselves. And then, you know, this feels morbid, I know, to a lot of people, but it is a practice to think about that this moment is all that we have. That's so easy to forget because we don't like to remember. It's inconvenient and uncomfortable to remember. But how does it change the conflict that you're having with somebody that you love if you think about the possibility of them not being there? How does it change how you feel about everything you need to do today and you have to do it by the end of this day if you were to imagine that this was the last day? Mm, Yeah, everything would change. Mm -hmm. Well, this episode is also temporary and we both have other actions we need to take. So this is a good place to wrap it up. Oh, I never know where these conversations are going to go. And I know, but they go where they need to go. And thank you, Amy, and thank you everyone for listening, for holding the space for me today. And I do hope that me speaking about what it was like to be in the midst of this does serve in some way. That is my greatest hope. And um, yeah, I hope I see you in San Diego or in Vancouver for the upcoming Warrior to Warrior workshops. Not very good about giving my website, but Lisa Dumas Yoga online to find out more. Yes. If anyone is local to either of those areas, check them out because they those workshops are amazing. All right, Amy. Well, I love you. I love you. And I will I will speak to you soon when we record one of our our live weekly classes for our Radiant Year program. It's been so fun. All right, my love, have a wonderful day. Talk to you next week. All right, see you soon. Thank you for listening to the Radiant Warrior podcast. If you found it valuable, please leave us a positive review to help others find it. And please check out the Radiant Warrior podcast on Instagram and Facebook to leave us your questions and find out where you can come and practice with us next.